Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. Hi there, friends. This is Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, and you are listening to episode number 36 of the Still Space Podcast, Career Changers Forum, From the Glass Ceiling to Red Flags. This is a very pointed, fact-specific podcast, so take notes because there's a lot of content here, and I'm going to get right to it. We are going to start with the top questions you should ask on an interview to raise eyebrows. Many people think about, oh, how am I going to answer those interview questions? Will I answer in the right way? But really, your goal is to show up authentically at your best. And when you are at your best, you are asking good questions. And this is how hiring managers can tell how you think. Are you a critical thinker? Can you think strategically? Can you manage your own doubt? Do you have arrogance in the things that you're suggesting? Job interviews are laced with questions that give the interviewer the opportunity to get to know you. If you will be an asset, if you will fit into the culture, are you going to embarrass them? As a prospective hire, use the interview as an opportunity for you to ask questions that will not only show how your character aligns with the company mission, but shows the interview team that you care about their long-term strategy and are already thinking of how you will align with it to ease the pain that keeps them up at night. Every interview that I've ever gone on, I took a 30, 60, and 90 day plan with me because other people don't do that. You have to differentiate yourself. And if you put that much time into planning something, the organization sees that you did research, that you understand the values of the organization, the long-term goals of the organization, whatever you can pull out of the media or off of the website, you've done your homework. Talent acquisition specialists have as many as 80 or more resumes for each position that's out there, and they may not know enough about a specific role to understand your transferable skills. They have 30, 60, 90 jobs that they have to fill. Sometimes um, talent acquisition is professionals who are right out of school or early in their HR career, so they don't always understand how some of your qualities in another role could align with the job at hand. So you have to figure out how to stand out. You do that, we've talked about this in other episodes, by looking at the job description, 
making sure keywords from that job description are in your resume, that you are referencing them in your cover letter. The same vernacular that's in the job description has to show up in your documents because the artificial intelligence is going to scrub those documents to make sure you advance. That's why you want to make sure you have the language in the documents, right? So these HRTA people must streamline the interview process to find top talent to forward to hiring managers. And they look for reasons to eliminate you, not reasons to keep you, but eliminate you so it makes their job easier. And some borderline candidates get eliminated who are actually quite capable. Mix speaking and listening 50-50. Your main goal on an interview is to put down all the red flags. Now, this is really important because a lot of people think when they go on an interview that they have to worry about doing a performance. Understand that that hiring manager has several key things that they want to know about you. And if you can get all of those red flags of concern down, you become a front runner for the position. That doesn't mean you have to overtalk, oversell yourself. There are key things that they are looking for. Number one, doesn't have the skills. If you don't have the skills, if you can't communicate that you have the transferable skills to be able to do the requirements of that job description, you make that hiring manager look bad. Number two, you lack experience. That means if you don't have experience in the exact profession, role, title, you have to be able to describe in your cover letter and on the interview and in your resume how existing experience is transferable and demonstrate that with stories that tell that, right? So yes, hiring manager, you, I do not have experience in this role. Now, let me stop right here and tell you, everybody had a first job as a manager. Yesterday, I had a client say to me, I am not qualified to be a manager because everywhere I go says I don't have any management experience. Understand that everybody who's a manager now at one point was not a manager. So what are the tenets of management? Uh, leadership, budgeting, people management, conversation skills, negotiating skills. You have to be able to communicate how you have managed in other capacities so they can see that transferable skill. So that lack management experience or lack industry knowledge in this specific industry, I often encourage my clients to say on interviews if they're being called on the carpet for not understanding an industry, t number one, tell the story of how you were in a new role and didn't understand the industry and how you went about understanding that industry so they can see how you think, the linear nature of how you're going to put it together. And number two, ask them to consider the lowest performer in their department. If that person understood the industry a little bit better, would that make them a better performer? Any manager will know the answer to that is no, but they have a bias and they're building confirmation bias around it as to, well, if you don't have experience, this isn't going to work. It's your job to convince them otherwise. Another red flag is you can't adapt. Well, have you given them a reason to think you can't adapt? Are you complaining about a previous role? Maybe what would be helpful if you tell stories on the interview of how you've adapted to new roles. This shows them again how you think and they can understand that better than you saying, you know, I'm very adaptable. 
Would you rather watch a documentary on 1940s Italian immigrants in America, or would you rather watch The Godfather? You'd rather watch The Godfather because it has a compelling cast of characters who are all criminals, who you're pulling for. You're pulling for the criminals, and it's got a great plot. So tell a story about a job that you had or a role that you had where you felt challenged. Be vulnerable. Tell them that. Let them see that you can adapt. Another red flag is in everybody that's been a manager has put this in a job applicant's uh, checkbox, less preferred candidate. You want to be the must-have. And it's your job to make sure that they know that you have one goal and one goal in mind. And that is this. And you can ask this on the interview. What would I need to do to make me 150% above what is expected in this position? Because I know that you have a job to do and you don't need to worry about me. So I want to be able to do this job in a way so that you can go back to your job and know that I'm going to get it done. What would that look like? What would I need to know? Already as the hiring manager, I'm thinking, oh, I like this person because they want me to look good. They don't want me to have to micromanage them. They're not going to be coming to me with questions all the time. Another red flag is no finesse, flat personality, not a leader, because they're thinking you're not going to fit into the culture. Another red flag is arrogance. People do not like arrogance. It doesn't fit into any culture. Not a must-have. Another red flag, won't stay long and will continue to look for another job. This is where there's bias if they've told you you're overqualified for the position or they think you're too old for the position or they think that you might want their job. That's really what that's code for. Oh, won't stay long and will continue to look. Oh, this person is probably wanting my job. Or they're not going to stay long and I'm going to have to train someone again. You, If you are afraid that somebody thinks that about you, you have to get that elephant in the room right on the table and discuss it. I realize that you may think that I have a lot of experience and I won't stay here. And I, what I'm here to tell you is that I've had a career of doing lots of things. And I'm really looking forward to doing the one thing that I love and that I'm very good at. And that is this, whatever that role is, because, insert the reason, because. So you're convincing them why you're an asset. You come to the table with a lot of experience, but you're actually looking forward to doing this one thing. Red flag, won't fit in. Ooh, if they think you're not going to fit in with the team, not a good thing. Ask about the team. How would you describe the culture here? What about the culture of the team? What would a good fit look like? Be curious. Show them that you're interested in fitting in. How about too passive, won't motivate? You want to be up, sitting with a straight back, looking people in the eye, let them see that you are motivated. Another red flag, not a strategic thinker or problem solver. In the stories that you're going to tell on your interview, you're telling lots of stories of problem solving. How you came, not in an arrogant way, how you came upon a problem and who you went to to consult with to solve that problem and ultimately what you did. Red flag of no executive presence is not healthy for any hiring manager. They want to know if they send you to a meeting or to present or report that you command a presence about you. And that's something that you can work on every single day, building your confidence, building your certainty, 
building your repertoire of what you are a maven at knowing and doing, writing that down so that you can speak to it, so that you have it cemented in your soul what you are known for, your leadership impact. Red flag will discredit me as the hiring manager. This is the kiss of death of every interview that goes on. If that hiring manager doesn't think that you can conform and adapt and apply yourself in a likable and reasonable manner, they're not going to take a chance. Last one will undermine me as the hiring manager, will be threatening. I can't trust this person. What story do you want to convey that's going to show them that you are trustworthy and can be relied on? And they'll see that in the questions that you ask them, especially the one where you're saying, I want to be able to do this in a way that you can go back to your job. How do I do that? What does that look like if I'm doing that at 150% so that you don't have to worry about me? Now, here are top questions that you can ask on that interview, specific questions. Once you've already gone into it, having processed the red flags that you know that that hiring manager might be thinking. Number one, could you describe the type of employee who fits well with this organization? All right, if I'm the hiring manager and you ask me that, I'm happy to answer it because I'm astutely impressed by the fact that you're thinking about what the culture is like here and how you would fit in. Number two, how are the goals set for the department? In other words, this will tell you whether or not you can weigh in on them, whether they're unrealistic, whether they come down from the top with no input from anybody else. Number three, how long was the last person in this role and where are they now? You're hoping that that person got promoted. If that person was not in the role for a long period of time, ask them to describe why you think they left. Number four, what is your biggest challenge as a leader in your position? What keeps you up at night? This will give you their pain. And you want to be the person that helps to solve that pain. Offer ways that you can ease that pain. Here's an example. My goal is to work without a lot of oversight so you can go back to the work you need to do. Be the low maintenance problem solver. Offer details of what you would do to help. Be very specific. Number five, what can I do in this role to make your job easier? Asking questions. You can see the theme that is being wrapped around here. I want to make your job easier. I want to be a high performer. What does that look like? Number six, what is most important to you when considering a new member to your team? Oh, that's going to stop some people. Because there are lots of things that they want, but now they have to tell you what's the most important. Number eight, what characterizes the most successful people in this company? Now you're starting to get a feel for how leaders emerge, who gets promoted, who advances. Number nine, what significant changes has this company gone through in the last three years? What is the organization's plan for the next three years? You're thinking critically and strategically. Number 10, what are the company's strengths and weaknesses compared to its competition? Now, before you say this, I will 
suggest that you have done research so that you know what some of those are and you can ask specifically about them because don't go in there looking like you don't know anything about the company have done your research ask about a certain company that they're in competition with let the hiring manager know that you know the background on what some of the challenges are for the organization number 11 if I were in this position, what's the most important thing that I could accomplish within my first 90 days? This is your opportunity to delineate your plan for the first 30, 60, and 90 days. The fact that you would even be thinking about a 30, 60, and 90 day plan will be impressive to the hiring manager. Be sure to be prepared to share with them thoughts that you've put together on a plan and how you would go about doing that. Number 12, in my research, I have learned that your company values are, insert whatever the company values are, they dovetail with my personal values and give examples of those. The fact that they see that you have and are aware of your personal values and beliefs and can show through stories how they dovetail with the company's values, very self-aware. Number 13, describe your team in three words. Oh, the hiring manager is going to find that a fun question. Number 14, what is your team doing that makes this open role exciting? Oh, now I have to sort of sell you on why you want to work here. That's a nice shift. I'm going to work hard at that. Number 15, where do you see the person in this position in three years? Number 16, what types of personalities mesh well with the team? Number 17, what are your team's strengths? What are the opportunities or gaps within your team? How long have your employees worked for the company? And number 20, I cannot underscore this enough. I tell this to everybody. Always end with this question. What stands out that would keep me from being the top candidate for this position? This shows you have grit. This is where you hope they will state any concerns they have about you, such as not having been employed in a while, having too much experience, which is code for too old, too little experience, which is code for too young, sometimes. You likely know what those concerns are and have a preformed answer you know what is keeping you from getting a role. Be able to address it and show how you've overcome whatever that challenge is through a story that shows you doing it in another capacity. So now I'm going to go through eight signs you have reached the glass ceiling. I receive a lot of inquiries from leaders who don't understand why they haven't advanced in their careers and it makes me very sad. Often they don't realize the magnitude of being in a stagnant position, nor have they interpreted the important signals that have come their way. And once they agree that the following scenarios have occurred, it becomes apparent to them that they may have been identified as not executive material and that a strategy is needed to ascend that plateau, and it can be done. Number one, you've been told they will look outside the organization to the, fill the position that you want. 
Oh, we always do that. No, they don't. If they have an internal candidate that they want, they don't want to lose you looking for another job. So they're going to tell you, oh, we have to post this externally for seven days, but it's you that we want. We're really not going to be interviewing anybody else. That we have to look outside the organization is code for we don't have anyone internally that we think is good enough for this role. Unless the opening is for an executive management position or a new skill specific role, this always speaks to the company's lack of leadership development as an organization. Ask what specific qualities they are looking for in a capable leader. If you can get a firm answer, great. Tee yourself up for the job. If you can't, start considering other opportunities. Two, you've been told you're not ready. That might be the case. So ask them, what specifically would I need to have, know, or exhibit to be ready? Press them to be specific because this sort of, I see this every day in corporate America. You're not ready. Um, You just don't have the skill. This is somebody who has stereotyped you and is building a confirmation bias around it. Make them be specific. What would it look like to be ready? What would I be doing that I'm not doing now? What would I know that I don't know now? And it might be innocent on their part because they've created some sort of persona on you that isn't fair. This helps them to re-examine their own bias. Get that commitment that if you have or attain or achieve a certain measurable milestone, you would be considered for the promotion or the leadership development program or whatever it is that you want to be considered for. Ask for a mentor, an advocate, or a sponsor within the organization. Ask if they will invest in a coach for your career development. It will be far less costly for them to do that than to search externally and hire someone that they have to eliminate later. Number three, you've been passed over for a promotion. This happens often. If you were not granted a promotion that you formally applied for, use the same tactics that I've mentioned in the items above. Consider opportunities. Ask somebody what you would have needed to have known, done, or demonstrated to have been a strong applicant for that promotion. And then ask them if you acquire those skills, if you could be considered for another promotion. Next one, you've been told you're overqualified. I really think this is very disrespectful, and I hope that we all as managers are not using this as we're interviewing people. This is an excuse for another reason. The candidate sometimes thinks he has been a victim of age bias or some sort of bias, any kind of bias. They have somebody they like more, etc. Maybe that's the case. What I see more often is that the candidate didn't interview well enough or figure out a way to position their unique value proposition in alignment with the culture and pulse of the organization. You didn't wow the hiring manager. My clients and I work very succinctly on preparing for interviews. There's a whole section that I give them with all kinds of exercises and videos on we must approach this like we do any piece of business that we go after. 
Another one is you've been told you don't have presence. Now, usually they won't tell you this, but you're starting to realize somebody else with finesse got the job. Well, Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin had finesse too, and they were liked at first too, but that didn't mean that they had character, and you have great character. So that lack of presence really means that you lack gravitas, that certainty, that finesse. People with gravitas have even temperaments. They don't have peaks and valleys. They can sit at meetings and listen and ask good questions. They know what they want. They don't overreact. And they send really strong nonverbal cues that command authority. The way they sit, the way they stand, the tone of their voice, the cadence of their voice. They are self-assured enough to risk new strategies, yet have the humility to admit when they don't know. Watch YouTube videos of three people you have a lot of admiration for that have great presence. Make a list of what you like, then spend a week developing one skill from each of those videos at a time. Keep track of it. Practice it. This observation is building your self-awareness and also giving you the ability to self-regulate the doubt that creeps in when you don't have presence because you're replacing that doubt with the practices that you've done in the off time. How about you aren't invited to strategic planning sessions? Definitely a glass ceiling red flag. This is strong indication that you have been overlooked as a critical thinker. Don't just ask to be included. Earn a place at the table. Spearhead a project of utmost importance to the plan, to the strategy, to the goals of the organization, and then extend it to somebody. Let them see it. Research and start to develop things that are important. Don't wait to be asked. Show how you will measure the results. Let them see that you aren't just shooting from the hip. Then share it. Share it with key people people that you trust. If it raises eyebrows, ask for a seat at the table. Another indication of the glass ceiling is that when you speak, key leaders don't pay attention. Watch their eyes. If they look away when you're speaking, they are not interested in your opinion. You need to develop your presence. You need to develop your strength. Listen better. Speak slowly. Speak only when you have something to say. Take in everyone else's opinion and say something that raises eyebrows. Ask the question that nobody has asked. And how many times has this happened where somebody else asked it and you're sitting there kicking yourself saying, I was going to say that. That's presence. When you can ask the right question, not speak to be heard. We've all known those leaders at meetings that just open their mouth because they don't have presence to affirm themselves, and they just dig themselves deeper and deeper into a hole. Last one, you can't get an appointment with a key leader. If they won't meet with you, you are off the radar screen. This is not a safe place for you to be. This is a time for you to reassess your career, reassess your presence, reassess your value proposition your signature strengths, your personal mission, and how your values align with where you are. Because it may be time for you not necessarily to leave the organization, but to develop yourself such that your core beliefs and 
true authentic self can come out behind the doubt that holds it back. Okay, so we've gone through a lot of very tactile and practical application of you showing up at your best self in your career change. Now I want to spend just a few minutes slowing down and getting into the right mindset where you realize how awesome you are and know how capable and effective you are when you're at your best. So let's just take a couple minutes to choose a spirit-rousing mantra, a sentence that you can tell yourself at any time that reminds you of who you are, not taking you back to discomfort or doubt or perfectionism, self-sabotage behaviors, limiting beliefs, assumptions, expectations, all of those things that drive you nuts. How about a mantra that you can pull out that keeps you grounded? And here are some examples. I've got this. I am the sky, everything else is the weather. I am the sun, I watch clouds go by. I am incredible. Perfection is overrated. I am who I am, I'm growing in the process. Here are a few that I use personally. Life is easy. God is for me, all is good. I have the power to perceive new perceptions of my body. I was thrown from a horse in my 20s. I've had neck surgery and a lot of joint and muscular pain. And I have the power to perceive that pain in a different way. So write down these mantras and stick with them for a week. So my clients work through a document that I give them called the Flow and the Go Guide, and they set a mantra every week. And it's right on the top of their week at a glance planner for their well-being. Mantra is first, and then every day set an intention. An intention is just a promise to yourself. But they're revisiting that mantra and their intention every day, sticking with their mindful daily routines, which might be a mindful walk, it might be meditation, prayer, it might be reading a passage from a daily devotional that you like, slowly sipping tea, whatever it is. These routines, just like a mantra, help keep you in the space of being aware and in control of your thoughts before the thought takes over, not the thinker. You're the thinker, you're in charge, but we have this negativity bias, this confirmation bias that we build around keeping ourselves safe because that's how we remain human and not extinct, right? So we need to know that and we're constantly building our self-awareness. Imagine if you could release yourself from this tiring, thriving pursuit. Our culture is constantly reminding you, thrive, push a little harder for unrealistic goals that may not even be in alignment with what you value. Maybe start by identifying your goals as realistic or unrealistic. In 2022, I had a goal to create a podcast. In 2021, I had a goal to create a podcast too, but I did absolutely nothing to make sure that I was going to get that done. That was not a realistic goal for me. It was a notion. 
And this is where people get confused. Goals are not goals unless they're measurable and they have a strategy to get there. That was a notion. In 2022, I worked with somebody who helped me set up a podcast. And now I'm having the time of my life because people are listening to it. They're sending me emails. They're telling me what they like. I'm doing more of it. I mean, it's just so rewarding. But it only happened because it became a realistic goal with a plan behind it. So what if this week you only did one thing and that was differentiate the unrealistic goals from the realistic goals and stuck with your mantra, stuck with setting a mantra for the week, revisiting it throughout the days of the week and allowing it to serve you. Because you know what? You're awesome and you are absolutely 100% able to show up for yourself at your 100% best self. And I'm honored to be by your side as you do that. I have been working for the last six months on a really exciting program that my clients have asked for and my followers have asked for. It's a brand new program called Mindful Leader Satisfied Life Circle. This is a six-month group program where you have support from me, from other people in the group every day, whenever you need it. It starts with immediate access to a five module system, which I'm going to show you in a moment. But the most important part is we have weekly group coaching calls. Once a week, I am going to coach you such that other people can watch you being coached and you can watch other people being coached so you can learn from other people. This group learning is the best tool that I've seen. And I know this because I've joined several groups over the past year to see the value of it. I am amazed at what I've learned by watching the evolution of other people. And this is why I've decided to make the commitment to put together this program for you. Included in it, there are six modules that you'll get access to right away. We have the group calls. You will receive a hard copy that I will mail to you of Flow on the Go Guide. It's a planner full of all of the principles that we talk about on this podcast. There will be a private group where we can post things, pictures, questions. So every day that will be read by me and everybody else in the group. And most importantly, let me tell you the value to you. And I'm going to structure it in the five modules. There's a bonus six module, but I'm going to talk specifically about the five module training areas. Number one, you have clarity. That builds your self-awareness. You effortlessly spend time and energy on things that matter, things that serve you. You're not churning in unproductive perfectionism just to convince yourself that you're doing something rather than nothing. And you're noticed by colleagues for an open perspective now. People take notice. In the second module, you transformed out. That's self-regulation. You notice your negative thoughts immediately, face the difficult emotions you've been avoiding, reconstruct a new thought that serves you before a limiting assumption turns into a belief that latches on and holds you paralyzed and hostage from your dreams. You show up with confidence, with presence, instead of frustrated, withdrawing, or lashing out with regret. 
turning to overeating or other vices, discontinue exercising or other healthy routines, or distance yourself from people, or have strained personal relationships. You're noticed by your friends and co-workers for your impulse control. Optimizing your environment is the focus of Module 3. That's where you have self-acceptance that we talk about. Your confidence is soaring. You draw healthy boundaries around your self-concept, your time, your relationships, your work and interests. You have heightened effectiveness, shorten the time to launch, have efficacy on projects or a job search because you're prepared with resources and connections to support you. You're not exhausting yourself on the treadmill to nowhere with more grind and hustle. In Module 4, you position your brand. Here's where you are quickly the sought-after choice for any team, project leadership, promotion, hire. You know and project your signature strengths, value proposition, personal mission, executive presence, and measurable key accomplishments. You don't waste time on what others do. Hiring resume writers, getting another degree, going to conferences, ruminating about corporate politics and cynicism and bureaucracy. You're the must-have. And in the fifth module, huge here, big on self-acceptance, you're playing big. And this is where you earn more money. You have self-mastery. You can walk into any situation, discussion, interview, meeting, and matter because you're sustainably at your best. You know how to do that and succinctly and consistently do it. You have a 30, 60, and 90-day plan and an assuredness about yourself. You have the ability to regulate difficult thoughts and emotions without the looming doubt. You see the opportunities and enjoy healthy personal relationships and healthy routines. You have certainty about you. People call you not the other way around. This is fun. It is so much fun to see the transformation in other people. And I'm now going to be able to share that with you in this group program. So head on over to my website, maryleegannon.com. And look for the details on the Mindful Leader Satisfied Life Circle. I can't wait to work with you. I'm glad you were with me today. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.